0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, what a wonderful song. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know uh, that where you may find yourself, the situations of life, where God has you in your walk with Him. And uh, what a wonderful message uh, through song this morning. One of the, I think as I, as I was listening to Rachel sing and thinking about what was going to be preached this morning in the passage, my heart was overjoyed uh, with the Word of God. As your pastor, one of the things a pastor, one of the roles of a pastor is to shepherd the flock. And uh, sometimes as a pastor shepherding the flock, you find sheep that are hurt Um, Sometimes sheep have been maimed. Sometimes sheep have gone astray and there's confusion. Um, Sometimes uh, sheep have been abused. Sometimes sheep hurt one another. Uh, Sometimes sheep are sick. and, uh, And so as a pastor, you bear... One of the roles of a pastor is to bear one another's burdens. That's a role of all of ours, by the way, to bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill you the law of Christ. But as a pastor, sometimes it can become overwhelming. I heard one pastor tell me, he said, Seth, beware of the Messiah complex, where you take everybody's burdens upon yourself like you're the Lord and like you can handle it because you can't. Um... It's not been that long ago, probably about a week ago, a little more than that. Uh, my wife and I were driving along with our family, and some news came to me of one of the congregation going through a trial and and uh, my wife could tell my blood pressure was going up by the mile as we drove along and uh and i was and she knows me well i was I was in my head going through all these different scenarios of what could have been done differently to spare this and what they were going to do from here on out, and uh, what were some of the options, and was there anything that I could do to fix the problem or help remedy the the, the situation? And um, The thing I love about this passage from a pastor's perspective is Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he's really laid out for them, and he's talking to them about their walk. He's told them to walk worthy of the unity of the Spirit. He's told them not to walk worldly like other Gentiles walk. He's told them to follow God. And uh, when I preach a message like that, follow God, it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? Follow God. Um, I mean, you can do, just just follow God. That's easy, isn't it? <laughs> it's not easy at all. And, of course, we looked in that passage in chapter, uh, uh, what was it, 5. Uh, he told us what that looks like. And he told us it, it was to... Um, Love like Christ loves. Walk in love. And he told us to, uh, to uh, uh, walk in the light. Don't walk in darkness. You were darkness, but you walk in the light. And he said, uh, walk circumspectly, not as fools. Walk wisely. Well, we can hear all those things, and I can preach those things, and I love to preach those things. There, if we'll walk that way, it leads to a life that is blessed by God and so it's wonderful to preach, but at the same time, uh, as I preach a message like that to the people that I love, I find myself—it's almost like it's a burden to some degree. Because if you don't do that, you're going to reap what you sow, and that's true for me as well. But I love how the passage unfolds, and it is by the will of God that it unfolds the way that it does. Because God just doesn't—he just isn't interested how we walk. And demands us to walk a certain way and gives us no provision to walk that way. The reality of this passage is that he's made every provision for you and for me to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. He's made every provision necessary for you and for me to walk worthy of the unity of the Spirit of God. To walk, to live our lives in such a way that we can please God. And when I I talk like this, that that he's made every provision for us to walk a certain way, it's not just that I'm not assuming that everything in our lives is hunky-dory and perfect. I'm not assuming that I'm talking to perfect people who don't have lusts of the flesh, the old man, to lead us astray. I know who I'm talking to. When when, when we talk and we read this passage about how we're to walk uh, in love and walk in light and walk wisely, I know... I know who we are. And he's reminded of us that of that in Ephesians, the first three chapters. You were dead. Um, you have an old man. You have a flesh that's wicked. Uh, he, it's, it's understanding the passage and the context, the city that this church was living in, a wicked, idolatrous city where the culture and the society were in direct opposition to what Paul was instructing the church at Ephesus to do. And yet, as Paul writes to this church, and as God speaks to our hearts, my heart rejoices because this statement that we're looking at, be filled with the Spirit, is the answer, it is the key. It is the key to walking the way we're supposed to walk. It is the key to to following God the way we're to, to follow God. So God cares how we walk, and And I should ask you the question, how is your walk? How is your life? How are you living your life? Are you living your life in a way that's pleasing to God? It's very, very important. Please don't allow yourself to grow complacent in your life. Don't grow complacent to the point where you start excusing the works of the flesh. Don't overlook them. Don't make excuses for them, because God has a plan for us. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to look, picking up where we left off. Uh, We'll we'll start reading in verse number 17. I'll read down through verse 21, um, and then we'll pray. He says in verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise. Don't be mindless. Don't go through life. You know, just, we're going to set aside the the cares of this life, and, and so we're just going to stop thinking altogether. We're just going to go with the flow. Don't do that, he says, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And this isn't just who God wants us to be. This is a how to be who God wants you to be. Verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. And then there are three evidences he gives in verse 19, 20, and 21 of someone who is filled with the Spirit. Look at verse verse 19. He says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He's talking about joy there in verse 19. That's the first evidence. In verse 20 is the second evidence. Look at it there, it's giving thanks. It says, giving thanks always always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being thankful for everything is an evidence that you're filled with the Spirit. And look at the final one in verse 21, it's submission. Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Are you a joyful person? Do you have a song in your heart, a spiritual song, a song of praise unto God? Where you, where you sit this morning, and we're in church, right? Okay. So if ever there were a time or a place where we, it should be easier to have that song in our hearts, it probably should be here. But, but in, in today, and in this week in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, do you have a joy in your heart, song in your heart to the Lord? Verse 20, are you thankful for what God has brought into your life? And not just for what he's brought into your life, but are you thinking how it's playing out? Because... Situations come into our lives, but there are all kinds of facets to those situations. There there are how our family as a whole is responding to it. There's how our our spouse is responding to it. It's how our our extended family and then our friends and our co workers. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for what God has brought into your life? Being thankful to God in all things is an evidence that you are under the control of the Spirit of God. Then the final one is submission, and we're going to look at that one. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You mean to tell me that parents should submit to their children and do the will of their children? Uh, Obviously not. Sorry to disappoint you if you're a teenager. However, as a parent, we're going to see this. As a parent, there ought to be The way we handle the authority we have toward those who are responsible to obey and follow our authority. How we handle our authority is incredibly important to God. And he he identifies it here as submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He's talking about the church. He's talking about you if you're a child of God. The question I have for you today is, are you living a spirit-filled life? Because anything short of the Spirit-filled life is wood, hay, and stubble. It's here today, and it has no eternal value. I'll say that again. Anything less than the Spirit-filled life means nothing. It's worth nothing. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today. Help us to better know what it is to be filled with your Spirit. Father, I pray for Trinity Baptist Church as a whole that we as dads and husbands and those who are moms and wives, ladies and men, young people, Father, help us as a church to recognize that this is your salvation provided for us, a spirit-filled Christian life, controlled, led, directed by your spirit, Father, we fall short so often we walk in our flesh. And Father, it is your will and you have provided us with yourself to fill us. Father, it is our desire. So teach us, I pray, by your word and I will praise your name for it. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. When you think about God's plan for your life, do you understand what it is? Do you know what God's plan for your life is? Are you in agreement with God's plan for your life? Do you know, do you know that sometimes, many times, God's plan for our lives are, are hard? There, there are many times I'll ask my children to do something that's hard. <laughs> it's their Father's will for them. And some of them, and they all respond differently. Something that Ian has no problem doing, Tori can't stand. Something that uh, Ian uh, or Tori has no problem doing and loves to participate in, Ian can't stand. Or or on and on it goes, right, with our children. Uh, One of them, I I laugh, uh, Dad and Mom, you you might remember this, but as I was growing up as a child... Uh, I can remember my father at one point saying, why is it whenever I ask you to do this, you always have to use the restroom? (laughs) And dad, it must be genetic because one of my children has the same issue. It's like, it's a a work-related bladder issue. I don't know what it is. It's just hilarious. And the thing is, they disappear for like many, many minutes. Like they've never had to use the restroom that long for any other issue, except when we're doing something with manual labor. (laughs) And, then, and and this individual is a hardworking person. You know, the reality is in our lives, our Heavenly Father has a will for us. And just like with a child, sometimes the father's will or the mother's will for that child, uh, it, it's something they don't like. It's detestable to them. They don't want to do it. And the same is true for you and for me. And in some ways, it's, one, it's true 100% of the time. Our flesh, our old man, never wants to do what God wants it to do. And in our passage, as he's talking about follow God, I know that in this room, all of our flesh, I'm talking to those who are saved, in this room, all who are saved are wicked, ungodly, sinful flesh, not a one of us in our flesh, Wants to do what God wants us to do in our flesh. We don't want to follow God. And we can say, well, walk in love sounds nice, but when it comes time to forgiving someone who's hurt us, our flesh says, no, I'm not going to do that. Or we might say, walking in light and not in darkness sounds good, but when it comes time to, to uh uh, deciding, you know what, walking in light means that I'm not going to look at that anymore. Some of us in this room, our flesh is saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Or walking wisely. You see what I'm saying? And so God's talking to us and He's saying, I want you to do these things, but He's made a provision for us. You know, and it's one thing to know what we ought to do, it's another thing entirely to do what we ought to do. And that brings us to verse 18. He says, I want you to walk, I want you to be filled controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, just a quick refresher. You and I were born again by the Spirit of God into the family of God. You remember when John or Jesus told uh, Nicodemus the Pharisee in John chapter 3, he said, you must be born again. Just like you were born into this world um, by your earthly mother, You need to be born into the family of God by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be born into the family of God. By the Holy Spirit, we were born into the family of God. The Bible describes that as being baptized into Christ. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. We're going to see a baptism at the end of the service here this morning. Um, The Spirit of God indwells us. If you're a child of God, you're indwelt by God, through his spirit, he lives within you, he never leaves you nor forsakes you, he goes with you if you're saved, everywhere, through everything that you face on this earth, the trials of this life, grief, the Holy Spirit is right there with you to comfort you and to guide you, to console you, Uh, Philippians chapter 2 talks about that. The consolation that is of the Spirit of God. He, within us, consoles us. He guides us. He instructs us. He teaches us. He convicts us when we do what is wrong. In the Old Testament, it talks about that still, small voice. I believe it was Isaiah that talked about, and ye shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. So the Spirit of God was given to us by Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus, before he ascended to be with his Father, to sit in the right hand of his Father after he had been raised from the dead, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, It is needful that I go because I need to send the Comforter to you. And if you're going to be witnesses unto me, Jesus Christ said, you're going to need the Spirit. You're going to need the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I are going to be able to go through this life and endure the trials, and if we're going to be able to understand the Word of God, and if we're going to be able to bring glory and honor to our Heavenly Father, there really is only one way, and that is by being filled with the Spirit of God. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Are you controlled by the Spirit, or are you controlled by the flesh? You ought to be taking personal inventory right now. You ought to be thinking about situations that have happened even in this past week, conversations, the way your thoughts have gone. Are you under the control of the Spirit of God or are you under the control of your flesh? Are you a worrier? Are you anxious? Are you overwhelmed with fear? Are you bitter and angry? Are you covetous? Are you you full of lust and you think about these things all the time, whether it's stuff, events, things that God has not entrusted into your care. They don't belong to you, but you covet them and long for them and desire to have them. You see, all of these things that I've just named, they are not what God has given to you. A spirit of fear or longing and coveting and lusting after something that isn't yours. All of these things that I've just named are works of the flesh. And as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he's saying, your responsibility is to be controlled by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Are you controlled? Is your life, is your business, is your family, is your home controlled by the Spirit of God? In in verse number 18, he draws that parallel between a man who's drunk, he's intoxicated with alcohol... And a man who's filled with the Spirit, and you remember, there were several uh, parallels that we could see from that negative illustration. Someone who's intoxicated with alcohol, and and I won't go back through all these things, but you remember, we could we think about it just for a moment. Uh, some men respond men respond differently to alcohol. People respond differently to alcohol. One person uh, who is sober when he gets drunk, now he's laughing at everything. Another person who's normally happy and congenial when he's sober drinks alcohol and he is a he is an angry bitter resentful hateful person alcohol is not something that the bible tells us we should partake of and but yet he uses this illustration of somebody who's drunk with alcohol to someone who's Filled with the Spirit of God. And there's a parallel here. To become drunk with wine requires an intentional choice. You have to choose to drink the alcoholic beverage if you're going to be drunk. So, too, does the filling of the Spirit of God require an intentional choice. And I remind you that we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. You, as a man, not just a pastor, we would expect the pastor to be filled with the Spirit of God. How many times I, when I traveled and preached in evangelism did pastors pray before the start of the revival meetings or evangelistic services that Evangelist Ferguson would be filled with the Spirit of God? And, and I'm glad they prayed that way. And oh, a pastor ought to be filled with the Spirit of God, under the control of the Spirit of God as he preaches the Word of God. And yet, Seth Ferguson ought to be filled with the Spirit of God in his relationship with his wife. As he trains up his children, and so too should you. So we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. But have you made the intentional choice? God wants me to be filled with the Spirit of God. God, I surrender myself to you. My wills, my will, my desires, I give up. And God, I want your desires to become my desires. God, as your Spirit leads me, I want Him to have His way in my life. In this, And that sounds so vague. As you go to work tomorrow... And I don't know what your work situation is like. But as you go to work tomorrow, maybe you hate your job. Or or maybe you don't hate it, but it's just overwhelming. Or, Or maybe for you, there are temptations in the workplace. There are some sincere temptations in the workplace. As you go to work tomorrow, you ought to pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I want you to guide and control me as I go through this day. Because the spirit of God will give you joy as you face hardship in the workplace. He'll give you victory as you face temptation in the workplace, you see. This is very, very practical, but it's an intentional decision. You have to choose to be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, I also noticed that the, the uh, parallel between being drunk with alcohol and being filled with the Spirit of God is that um, both individuals are under the authority of something else. The man who is drunk is under the authority of alcohol. So two is a person who's filled with the Spirit under the authority of the Holy Spirit of God. They're under the control of. But I also noticed the third part, and that was that the control of alcohol is temporal or temporary. You have to keep drinking alcohol if you want to stay drunk with alcohol. Sometimes people drink alcohol so that they'll forget the trials that they're going through. Um, Life is too hard, they say. And so they drink alcohol so they can get some relief. But ultimately, alcohol, it's only temporary. You've got to keep drinking it. And it, it eventually takes a person's life, can destroy a person's liver and Maybe sometimes a person can be drunk and ultimately take somebody else's life. And a couple of weeks ago, I read you all kinds of statistics about the death that is caused by alcohol in the United States of America. But just like someone has to be under the control of alcohol, you have to continue to drink it. So, too, to be under the control of the Spirit of God, you have to continue to submit yourself to the Spirit of God. You have to say yes to him. Now, we could look at other passages here, and we already have in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, and grieve not the Spirit of God. It's possible for me to hurt the Spirit of God, to hurt God, to cause Him grief. This past Thursday, my wife and I and the two girls went down to Indiana, and I preached at a church in Anderson, Indiana, on that passage in Ephesians chapter 4 about grieving the Spirit of God. And one of the ladies who was in that church service, 31-year-old lady, her, her husband had been killed in a plane crash not long ago. And as she pondered the grief that she had endured in the loss of her husband, she connected that grief to the grief that God has, that the Spirit of God has within us when we choose to grieve Him and say no to Him and say yes to our ungodly flesh. And I thought that was a very uh, uh, proper application. Sometimes we think, well, grief for God is no big deal. But when we think about grief for ourselves, and our shoulders bowed over, and sometimes weeping almost uncontrollably, or that deep ache because of grief, we ought to think that way when we think of the Spirit of God in our lives. And of course, to the Thessalonian church, Paul wrote to them. He talked about. He he told them, stop quenching the Spirit. You can extinguish, just like we can extinguish a fire when we're done with it, you can extinguish the influence of the Spirit of God in your life. We're told to walk in the Spirit every day. And here we're being told to be filled with the Spirit. Yield yourself to the filling of the Spirit of God. Let God have His way in your life. Sometimes when, when hardship comes into our lives, we just kind of uh, fold up like a cheap tent, you know, and we just kind of want to be miserable. Maybe you're not like that, but some people are. You know, just let me mope around in my self-pity. I just need some time to just be grumpy and complain and moan, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not making light of the trials that we go through. They're significant. But there's an option to that. Just folding up and, and just... There's an option to that, and that's be filled with the Spirit of God. Sometimes people get all upset with a trial. And some of us respond in anger, intense rage. Trials, hardships. We all respond differently. And here's, here's the point of this passage. Some of us, whether we're blower uppers and we're causing destruction at home and not just on the physical property but on those we live with or whether we we just kind of crumple up and we go into a depression that lasts for days or weeks or even months or whatever, whatever your makeup is, the decision is distinctly different. Either I can sow to the flesh, I can respond to the trial, I can respond to life in the flesh. Or I can respond to life in the power of God, his Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, just a couple pages back in your Bibles, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Listen, there's no law against what the Spirit of God, God's law, there is no law against what the Spirit of God produces. As a, and I'm, let me talk to you, dads, for just a few moments. As a dad, and you have children, and some of you have children in the home like I do, and some of your children are outside of the home, but you have a tr- still fathers. You have a tremendous influence in the lives of your children. We love our children. We long for our children to succeed. We long, if we love God and know God's Word and believe what God says, we long for our children to follow God. And you know what our children need to see through us? They need to see the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to see His righteousness. They need to see His goodness. They're going to see us sometimes fall along the way because we're people. We're men. I'm not asking for perfection. God's not asking for perfection. He knoweth our frame. He knows who we are but he's made a provision for us to follow God and the provision is himself as I was studying even this week and I was thinking about this passage I was thinking about our inheritance the inheritance that we have you know what our inheritance really is we could talk about eternal life we could talk about light We could talk about truth. We could talk about victory. You know what our our inheritance really is? And it struck me this week for the first time in my life. You know what it is? Our inheritance is God. He is the truth. He is life. He is victory. Our inheritance is God. And he lives within us. It should be no surprise to us that in the new Jerusalem someday, it's called the city of God. And he, there's no need of the sun there because he is the light that illuminates that city. And it is his temple. And we will worship him for all of eternity. Our inheritance is God. And he has given himself to us by his Holy Spirit you know, this, this command in, in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit, it's not a request. God expects us to, to do it. And I'll say it again, anything less than being filled with the Spirit is the work of the flesh. It's a command, it's not a request. Be ye filled with the Spirit. It's plural. Everybody who's saved is commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're to keep on being filled. We don't just get filled one time, we get saved one time. His Spirit lives within us, He indwells us, and He never leaves us. If if a person receives Christ, they're saved, they have eternal life, and how long does eternal life last? It lasts forever. But being filled with the Spirit of God is something that first we have to come to the understanding that, that we need it, that God commands it, and then we have to submit ourselves to it and say, God, not my way, but thine be done. Lord, have your way in my life. We need to keep on being filled with the Spirit of God. It's also something we don't fill ourselves. I don't get down on my knees in the morning and say, I'm going to be here for the next 30 seconds because I'm going to fill myself with the Spirit of God. No, no. No, none of us can fill ourselves with the Spirit of God. The filling of the Spirit is God's response to a humble heart that says, Lord, not my will but thine be done. The filling of the Spirit of God is, is God's response to a humble heart that says, God, show me your word and show me your will. What is it that you want for my life? The, a person who who says, You know what, this is the way my family's gonna live, this is what we're gonna do, this is how we're gonna serve God, and it's good enough, and it's better than those people, and it's better than those people, and God's better be happy with it. That person's not filled with the Spirit of God. They're just doing their best which may be admirable. The filling of the Spirit comes to someone with a humble heart. and It's something we don't do. It's something that God does. Now, I want to give you three evidences, and we'll be done this morning, that someone is filled with the Spirit of God. Because we could all leave here this morning, and many of us here this morning would say, Seth, I am a child of God. I am indwelt by the Spirit of God. But how do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit of God? How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? How does a saved person know if they're walking in the Spirit or not? And and can I say this too before I move on? If if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never been born again by the Spirit of God, you may be a good person. You may be a religious person. You may be a disciplined person. But remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious person. And for all practical purposes, a good person, Jesus said, ye must be born again. You need to be born into the family of God. Uh, and, and, and if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you need to be born again. You need to receive Christ as your personal Savior. Pray and ask God. Put your confidence in Him to save you from your sin. Don't put your confidence to save yourself in your religion In your discipline, in in your works, in, in this church, in me, I can't save you. But God will save you through his son, Jesus Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Okay, you can be saved. But if you're not saved, you cannot be filled with the Spirit of God. If you are saved, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. He wants to live his life through you. What are three evidences that a person is filled with the Spirit of God? First of all, a person who is filled with the Spirit of God is joyful in their heart to the Lord. They're joyful in their heart to the Lord. Look at verse number 19. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I don't know what kind of music you listen to, but this is a wonderful passage to think through. When, um, when you're thinking about your life and whether your life is bringing glory and honor to God. Our music, the music of a child of God, ought to be spiritual. Now, in some sense, all music is spiritual, okay? Um, there, are, there is music that spiritually can glorify Satan. And honor Satan. There is music that can spiritually honor and glorify immorality. Or alcohol. Or sin. There's music like that. Okay. There's also music that is spiritual in the sense that it brings honor. It honors and glorifies and brings praise God. Now, some of us in this room are newly saved. Okay, you, When I say Christian music, you, you look at me and say, what do you mean? What do you mean Christian music? And you might think of a radio station or something like that. A person who's filled with the Spirit of God from their heart sings and brings glory and praise to God with a joyful noise by the music that we sing. You know, God wants our entire lives to bring him honor. God wants our entire lives to bring him glory. Our music ought to bring him honor and glory as well. Music that brings God glory is a product of a joyful heart. It's, it's the product of a joyful heart of a believer that's filled with the Spirit of God. Look there in verse number 19. Look here in verse number 19. He, he mentions psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. What's he talking about? Psalms literally refers to the quoting of the Psalms. Um, I can remember years ago, my parents had us memorize a psalm. And uh, I'll read it to you. Yes, they had me memorize it, but I'm going to read it. Okay, Psalm 100, and you might have it memorized. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Why do we sing when we come together as a church? Well, uh, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And when a church, a congregation of believers gather themselves together and we have an assembled local church, we sing because we're obeying the word of God. And not just because we're obeying the word of God, but because we want to praise him. It says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Praise His name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. And in the very next psalm, in Psalm 101 in verse 1, it says, I will sing of the mercy and judgment. I will sing of... Mercy and judgment, I will sing. Talking about God's judgment and God's mercy. And all through the word of God, we find references to singing. You know, God desires that we sing. Can I speak to, we have junior church out of the auditorium right now, but can I I speak to dads in this room this morning? Do you sing when we sing out of the hymnal? You may say, Seth, I don't sing well. That's okay. That's okay. You may not have any formal training You may hit wrong notes. My question is, do you love God? And is your heart drawn to sing praises unto your God? When I was a little boy, I can remember my dad taking me for bike rides. Or sometimes our whole family going to Grandma's house. And the whole family was singing songs together. Now, I know anymore we've got everyone's on a game or... If you've got little kids, they might be on Leapsters, or maybe it's like our family, the movie Marathon, you know, from Michigan to Pennsylvania. But you know what? I can still remember sitting in the pew when I was a small boy and listening to my parents sing, worship and praise unto Almighty God. I can still remember my father, six foot three, big strong man, singing praise to God. I really believe that had a tremendous impact upon my life. You see, God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. The Psalms has the idea of stringed instruments, you see there. And and, uh, it, it may imply the quoting of Psalms. Look at the word hymns. It literally means a song of praise. The word hymn means a song of praise to God. Many of the hymns in our hymn book... Uh, A hymn, uh, Mrs. Scott likes to say, is a song that's about Him. Is that how she says it? A song that's about God? Yeah. Some of our songs in the hymnal are, are more songs of praise about what God's done in our lives. Other songs are about Him completely. He's holy, He's just. Uh, Hymns are songs of praise to God. It's it's obvious that the focal point of Christian music is praise to God. Good Christian music can encourage our hearts. There have been many times where I've been driving down the road and I'll have some good Christian music on a CD or or maybe something I've downloaded onto my phone is playing through the speakers in my truck. Or maybe sometimes it's just... Uh, on Thursday, we were drive or Friday, we were driving home from Indiana, and I can remember I was just singing. Songs were coming to my, my mind that I learned in church, that I learned in junior church with Pastor Scott from all these years ago, and I'm singing, and I kind of sort of chuckle to myself, and where did that come from? I haven't sung that in a good 20 years or more. Kara, you probably sung some of those songs. It was just out of my heart, just singing to the Lord. And I wasn't belting it out so no one else could concentrate on what they were doing. I was just singing. Spiritual songs, he says there in, in verse number 19. Christian music is spiritual and distinctly different from carnal Music, worldly music, fleshly music. There's certain music that moves us in our flesh. There's certain music that we could listen to that could make us angry or make us feel sensual. There's certain music like that that's designed intentionally that way. And I want you to know as a child of God, someone who is commanded by God to be filled with the Spirit, he tells us this is the result, this is the evidence that you're filled with the Spirit of God. You could ask me this morning, Seth, do you like, do you like any kind of worldly music? Or, Seth, do you like, is there any kind of music that you like, any certain bands you like? Do you have a favorite song? Well, I've got to tell you, it's been a while since I've bought a CD of a, of a music group that's not a Christian group. Okay, It's been a long time. But if you were to ask me, Seth, do you, do you like, and you could name groups, You'd have to go back a little while because I'm a little out of of touch. But between you and me, yeah. Yeah. There's music that's of this world that I would enjoy. A lot. So please don't sit where you are this morning and think, you know, Pastor Ferguson's up on his high horse and just going away and and he doesn't care about what I like or this is what I've grown up with or this is a special song to me and, and my husband or my wife. No, I'm just like you. There's music that, that's of this world that I would love. When we were out in Pennsylvania, we were at a Phillies game and, and they were playing a, uh, some song, and it was, uh, I think they had a dance cam out, you know, so now they're, they had the kiss cam. Cindy was, unfortunately, she was out of her seat at that time, so we couldn't participate in the kiss cam. And then the dance cam came. And, uh, you know, basically what that means is everybody who wants to get on camera makes an absolute fool out of themselves so they can get on camera, okay? But they were playing some sort of song. And you know what? My flesh is just like yours. Do you think I danced, Mr. Jex? No, I didn't. I didn't dance. Some of you were, what's coming next? I didn't dance. But you know what? What I'm telling you is there is worldly music that's of this world that appeals to our flesh, and you need to be able to tell the difference between the two. Okay? And, and there is such a, there's a kind of music that my flesh loves, and then there's, there's a kind of music that, that's of the Spirit of God And it brings glory and praise to God. And it comes out of a joyful heart. I can go console myself, I suppose. Or you can go console yourself with music of the past that's of your flesh. The very flesh that would have taken you to hell for all of eternity. Recently, I was in, I don't know if it was a a store or something like that. But they were playing some, some country music. And it was, frankly, it was very, Very sad. And, and I'm not going to make a joke about it. Because part of me likes that kind of music, okay? And some of you love it. And, and I don't know if we have any hardcore rap fans here today. But, but wherever you are, I'm just saying, you, you, you have to decide. I'm either going to say, Lord, here, here I am. You've saved me. I used to be dead. You made me alive. I used to be darkness. I used to be darkness. All that this music sings about, oftentimes, is darkness. And Lord, I'm yours, and I know what I, my flesh craves, but Lord, I want to bring glory and praise to you. Lord, I want you to, be con- I want you to control my life. I want you to control my thoughts. I want you to direct my thinking. And the result of that is a joyful heart. And he says it there in verse number 19. So the Spirit-filled Christian song comes from God. A song he could never sing apart from God. Look at the second evidence, and that's that's in verse number 20. The person who is filled with the Spirit of God is going to be thankful unto God for all things. He's going to be thankful to God for all things. (laughs) All things? Really? Really? A person who's filled, controlled by the Spirit of God is thankful to God for all things. Are we to give thanks to God? Are we to, am I to be thankful to God when things are going wrong? When injustice comes my way? when sickness and death enters into a family? I mean, there comes a point: Lord, are you asking too much? What, what about, should we give thanks when a loved one wanders away from the Lord? Can we still sing when times are hard? Uh, we could go back to Acts chapter 16 and look at Paul and Silas who were singing while they were in prison. And I think it's a beautiful picture and an illustration of what it looks like when a child of God is filled with the Spirit. Paul and Silas had been humiliated. We know the story, right? It's a Bible story. We know the story pretty well. They'd been preaching and teaching and doing what was right, and they were thrown into prison. They, had, they were humiliated. How many of us like to be humiliated? How do you respond? What is the reaction of your flesh when you're humiliated? Some of you, some of you might throw blows. Like some of us, we make sure we're not going to be humiliated. And we'll say whatever we have to to make sure we're not humiliated, we're not put down. Paul and Silas had been humiliated. Their backs were torn and bleeding from the beating that they had endured. Their bodies were cramped as they were in the stocks, according to Acts chapter 16. Their future was uncertain. Frankly, they, had, they were in Philippi because God had led them there. And this is not, I don't think, how they expected things to go. I imagine they might have been disappointed in their flesh. The future was uncertain, but when we read in Acts chapter 16 of Paul and Silas, what do we find? What were they doing in jail in Acts chapter 16? Does anybody know? They were singing praises to God. They were singing praises to God. And you know what? God sent an earthquake. You remember he threw open the doors to the jail And did Paul and Silas run to escape their suffering? No. Some of us in this room are suffering. Would you run and escape the suffering if you could? Just between you and God. Would you take an exit ramp if you could get off the highway of suffering that you're on? Paul and Silas didn't. The first words of the Philippian jailer were, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I think, I think that one of the primary reasons why churches today are so weak is because the church members are not filled with the Spirit of God. And maybe within that church member framework, pastors are not filled with the Spirit of God and Sunday school teachers are not filled with the Spirit of God choir members, church members, God's people are not filled with the Spirit of God and there's a lack of power and there's a lack of joy and there's a lack of love. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God who produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and on and on the list goes. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. Because the evidence of the filling of the Spirit is joy. Joy. Singing praises to God. And it's it's a spirit of thanksgiving. The filling of the Spirit makes a church vibrant. It makes a home a haven. It makes a marriage heavenly. And it makes our lives holy. In John chapter 12, Mary... Remember Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. I think it was about 12 days before Passover. And Jesus was there, and Mary comes to Jesus. She breaks open that alabaster box, and she anoints his feet, and she washes his feet with her hair. And Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus Christ, in indignation says, Well, what is she doing? This could have been used to help the poor. When the Bible actually tells us what his motives were, he wanted it for himself. And you know what? Mary gave out of a thankful heart. You know that that, that giving is a result of th- a thankful heart. And th- a spirit of thanksgiving is a result of the filling of the Spirit of God. Some of us are not thankful, and you know why? Because we are in our flesh. You say, no, it's not because I'm in my flesh, Pastor, it's because it's because of this sickness that's in my home. Pastor, it's because of the finances uh, in our home, it, Pastor, it's because of the ministry, it's because of this, it's because of that, it's because of my job, it's, it's because of the, our society. That's the reason I'm not thankful, Pastor. No, 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 no. The reason we're not thankful sometimes, and I can be the chief of an unthankful spirit, the reason we're unthankful sometimes is not because of our circumstances, it's because we're not under the control of the Spirit of God in our lives. A heart that is genuinely thankful is produced by the Spirit of God. There's a, a young couple in our church, Jeremy and Jamie, and they're a wonderful young couple. If you haven't gotten to meet them, you should. And a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, we were talking about some things. And I'm, I, Cindy and I asked them how they would come to Trinity. And, and uh, they, were, they were naming some of you in this room. And... Uh, They were saying how kind and loving Trinity Baptist Church is. And they're here today. And they were talking about how people had reached out to them and how they'd been friendly. You all had loved them and been friendly and kind to them. And they named some of you. And what they didn't didn't know and what I didn't tell them was several of the people that they named in this church, some of you are in this room, several of you, Who were so kind and loving to them are going through some tremendous personal hardships in your lives. And as they sat there with us, and we had a great time together, and they sat with us and they talked about you and your kindness and your love to them, I just kind of sat there. And in my mind, I was thinking, she's losing her mom. That lady's losing her mom. Her mom's dying. That man's wife is suffering physically tremendously, and yet you're here anyway. And you're loving one another, and you're, you have this joy in the Spirit. You have a thankful heart anyway. And you know what that's a result of? The filling of the Spirit of God. And as your pastor, my heart rejoiced. And you know what? I long, I long for us as a church. My desire for Trinity Baptist Church, what is my vision for Trinity Baptist Church? It's that we would be filled with the Spirit of God in the workplace, in your home, when you're here, whether we're young, whether you're 13 or 14, whether, whether I'm a, you're a pastor or a deacon or you're uh, 75 or 85 or whatever, however, many t- however much time we have left in this earth, my desire for us as a church is let us be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's say, God, I surrender all. Have your way in my life. I've had enough of my flesh. I know what my flesh can do. I know who I am. And I want you to have your way in my life. And I am telling you this is God's plan. This is what He lays out in His word. I've read books upon book after book after book on a a, a successful church and how to grow a church and what to do this. And you know, it's funny, people are moving Awana to this night and they're moving this to that night and they're canceling this and they're adding this and we're going to groups and we're doing all kinds of things. You know what? I really don't care. That's fine because we're independent churches. You know what God wants for us no matter when our services are? joy, thanksgiving, and very quickly, and we're done submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 21. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, in short, we're to be submitting ourselves one to another. That's harmony in the fear of God, knowing that we are each going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be held accountable to how we work together. Fearing God means that I know who God is, and I believe what God says to be true. In Job 28 and verse 28, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. In Proverbs 1 and verse 7, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 9 and verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We're each going to stand before the Lord, and we're each going to be held accountable to him, by him, for how we lived our lives in this earth. I can summarize that. He says, Every word. We're each going to stand for Jesus Christ and we are going to give an account to him for whether we lived our lives on this earth, how we walked, whether we walked in his spirit or whether we walked in the flesh. And one of the evidences of being filled with the spirit of God is a unity and a harmony. And that ought to be there. I think it's A.W. Tozer that gives the illustration you could have a hundred pianos, and you could tune them all to one another, and you'd have a mess. But if you tone, tune one piano at a time to that tuning fork, and another piano to that tuning fork, and, and all 100 pianos to that tuning fork, all 100, 100 of those pianos will all be in perfect harmony. And the tuning fork is the Holy Spirit. The tuning fork is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're a piano, and I'm a piano. And when you're in tune to the Holy Spirit, or with the Holy Spirit, when you're letting him live his life through you, and I'm letting the Holy Spirit live his life, Christ's life through me, you know what? There's a beautiful harmony between Tim Mowry and I. There's a beautiful harmony between Tim Mowry and Mrs. Dunsire. Right? And Mrs. Dunsire and, and, and Cassie and Kendall Carpenter. You see this? It just keeps on going. There's a beautiful harmony. Why? It makes total sense. It's really simple, isn't it? just say yes to the spirit of god there's no need for conflict there's no need for for grief and sorrow because we've fallen because no because we're saying yes to the spirit of god keep saying yes to the spirit of god we're each going to stand before the lord we're each going to give an account to him and so in the final verses of ephesians god he's, he's going to specifically apply the principles of harmony and unity to several relationships the husband and wife and parents and children and and, uh, employers and employees. And, And I asked the question to start this morning, should parents submit to the will of their children? And the answer is no. The biblical principle of submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord has nothing to do with the authority, the order of authority. It has everything to do with the operation of authority. How authority is used. How authority is received. If you're an employer, how do you operate with your authority? If you're an employee, how do you respond to that authority? And a person who's filled with the Spirit of God, the authority who's filled with the Spirit of God is going to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, all those sort of things. Sometimes they have to let people go. At the same time, someone who is the employee, who's filled with the Spirit of God, they're going to respond the same way. They're not going to be complaining and moaning and groaning. They're going to be submissive. So for those in authority, during Christ's earthly ministry, he was regularly teaching his disciples not to throw their weight around. It's not to see how great I can make myself. And the disciples struggled to learn that lesson at the Last Supper, the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, some of them were arguing over which one of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. When Jesus washed their feet, he was teaching them that the greatest actually lower themselves and serve others, not like the Pharisees, who are always trying to build up their authority and make themselves important, or to esteem others to be more important, to be better than ourselves. By nature, we want to promote ourselves, but the Filling of the Spirit enables us to submit ourselves. To submit to another is evidence of spiritual maturity. Pride is the essence of carnality. It resists the yielding to the Spirit of God. So to have a submissive attitude or submissive spirit is an attitude related to being filled with the Spirit. A submissive, yielded, yielding spirit is related to the fear of God. And as we realize his awesome holiness, our accountability to God, the potential judgment we face, it ought to motivate us to yield ourselves to the spirit. Because when we know and we do, it produces harmony. Submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you know that it's God's will for you to follow God? The how-to. Follow God is to be filled with his spirit. It produces joy in our hearts. It produces a thankful spirit toward God. And it produces a submissive spirit.